It's good to see everyone this morning. My name is Pastor Andrew. I'm excited to get to preach today. So a, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to preach a sermon in uh, G180 on the passage of Galatians 6, 1 and 2. And ever since that time, I have been looking for an opportunity to get to teach on that passage to our entire church family, because I think it's one of the most needed passages and sermons in the culture that we live in. And today presented that opportunity. So I hope this sermon is an encouragement to you as it has been to me. So let me pray and then we'll dive in. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be together as a family today. As we were just singing, your faithfulness has been so great to us. Thank you for the promises that we have that are an anchor in the storm that we can hold on to. Thank you that you never once have allowed us to walk through a trial or a temptation or a difficulty in our life alone. But you are with us, you are for us, and you are leading, uh, just leading us well. So we entrust this time to you. Speak to us now through your inspired and errant word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know it doesn't look like it now, but there was a season when I was really into working out. Don't laugh too hard or you'll hurt my feelings. So when I was attending Cedarville University during my college years, I really enjoyed working out with some friends. Now, that season quickly ended after I graduated because I am one of those people that cannot exercise on my own. Some of you do, and I don't know how you do it. Teach me your ways, oh gurus, but I cannot work out on my own. If I work out on my own, I will show up half the time and not push myself and call it a good day. I need a partner to help me show up and to push past uh, the difficult moments. So I had a few different workout partners when I was at Cedarville. I want to share a story about one of them. His name was Tyler. So Tyler was one of those guys. He was my, my workout partner my sophomore year. And he was one of those guys who was just brilliant. But sometimes people are so brilliant, they lack common sense. Now, I'm, I'm sure none of us know anyone like that, but my friend Tyler was like that, okay? So right before Christmas break, our sophomore year, we had really been working on our bench press, all right? And we've been really wanting to be able to uh, really hit some new personal records. So we've been pushing each other. And over Christmas break, we were in a little bit of a competition, you know, sophomores in college, you have male egos, you got to push each other. So we're in a competition and Tyler really didn't want to lose any progress over Christmas break. So he was still going to the gym. So one night after he got off work, he went to the gym really late and he was the only person in the gym. He was the only person there. So he had no spotter, no workout partner, and he decided that he, that was the night he was going to put as much weight as possible and try to max out his bench press. Okay, we all know where this is going. This isn't a good decision, right? So he's thinking, I, I got this. I'm strong enough. And then he made a bad decision even worse. He decided to put clips or collars on the bar as well, which when you're working out by yourself, you don't want to do because if you get stuck, then you can't just kind of like shimmy the weights off. You are, are pinned. So he slaps on, I don't know how much weight, 230, 240 pounds. He decides he's going to crank out a few high weight reps and, and just uh, keep up these gains. So he sits down on the bench bar, gets the weight off, comes down and realizes I have made a terrible mistake. 
Because as you know, there's, there's that moment, if you've ever lifted weights where like your elbows tremble, you're way too low to be hitting this plateau and you're just shaking violently lowing. I, no matter how much I push and grunt, this isn't getting back up. And there's no one there to help him, right? So Tyler did the only thing he could do, slowly lowered the weight onto his chest and now he's pinned, right? Not a good place to be. At that point, he only has one option. He has to do the role of shame. The role of shame is when you just slowly roll the bar down across your ribs, across your abs, onto your thighs, so you can sit up and figure out a way to get this weight off without embarrassing yourself too badly. So Tyler, over the next couple minutes, did the role of shame. And thankfully, he escaped the crushing weight of the bench bar with only a slightly bruised sternum and a more severely bruised ego. Now, I don't know why Tyler decided to tell me this story, actually. Like, I would pretend like this never happened, but Tyler told us, so now the story lives in infamy. But Tyler learned an important lesson that day. When you're lifting heavy weights, you never do it alone. You always need a spotter. And that principle is not only true in the weight room. The principle is true in our spiritual lives as well. Because the reality is, we will all carry burdens around with us. And if we don't share those burdens, if we don't have spiritual spotters to help us bear the weight, we're going to feel like Tyler one day pinned under the crushing weight of those burdens. And maybe that's how you feel this morning. You have this humorous picture of my friend Tyler pinned under, under the, the weight, not knowing what to do. But maybe that's how you feel internally. There's burdens, there's things that are heavy, that are just uh, crushing, and you don't know what to do. And if that's how you feel this morning, well, good news, Paul has some powerful words of encouragement. Paul shows us how to respond when the burdens of life seem too heavy to bear. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Galatians 6 and read verses 1 and 2 together. Some of the best verses in all of the New Testament. Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest to, you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The theme of this passage centers on bearing burdens. If you were here two weeks ago, I got to touch on this a little bit. Just one of my bazillion points I talked about. But today, we get to focus in on that one point all day. So our big idea is going to sound very familiar. The best way to bear a burden is to share the burden. But we're going to dive really into what that means today. And I'll be honest, this is my soapbox. So we're going to talk about this because we're just really bad at it. And it's just, it hasn't clicked yet. So we're going to talk about how we can bear our burdens by sharing our burdens. And it's a great concept, but we're not very good at it naturally. Rather than sharing our burdens, we like to suffer in solitude. And, and that's so prevalent even in the culture that we live in. Uh, Wisconsin's a great state. We're hard workers, we're self-reliant, we're determined. There's a lot of great things that come with that. There's also some negative things that come with that. One of which is we're really bad at being vulnerable and opening up and asking for help. And because of that, a lot of us resist reaching out for help because we think we can shoulder the burdens all by ourselves. But that won't work. There will be a time when the burdens of life are too much to bear and you will feel pinned and trapped by 
all the burdens that you are called to face. Life in a broken, sin-cursed world is messy. And this passage is encouraging us to invite each other into each other's messes. So with the rest of our time, we're going to look at three ways that we can bear our burdens by sharing our burdens. And here's our first one. If you're going to bear your burden by uh, sharing your burden, you need to identify the burdens you're bearing. You need to identify what are those burdens that you are bearing. And I really think that most burdens can be sorted into one of three categories. Trials, temptations, and trauma. And we'll talk through each of those in a moment. But we need to identify the burdens that we're bearing. This morning, if I could snap my finger and magically make all of the burdens that we are carrying suddenly become visible, all those invisible things suddenly become visible, I think we would all be astounded at how much collective burden is weighing down our church family. But I can't do that, so you just have to take my, my word for it. But I think we would be surprised at how much burden is out there. I think a lot of us, as I was writing and reviewing my notes this week, I kept thinking of Matthew West's song, Truth Be Told. That's the song in the chorus where he says, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm not, but I'm, I'm broken, right? And he, and he talks about two lies that we believe in, in, in the first verse. Lie number one, we're supposed to have it all together. Some people ask how you're doing, smile, tell them never better. Lie number two, everybody else's life is perfect except yours, so keep your messes, wounds, and secrets safe with you behind closed doors. And I think that's how we, act, we function. How are you doing? I'm fine, I'm fine. But we're not, we're broken. So this morning, we need to identify the brokenness. What are the burdens that we're carrying around? The first category of burden that we're gonna look at is temptation. And that's in verse one, temptation. Look at what Paul says. He says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that's a pattern of sin, you who are spiritually mature should help restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Our areas of temptation are the first burden that Paul encourages us to share with one another. Paul is telling us that we shouldn't try to face sin struggles through our own strength. We need to call in spiritual help. We need spiritual spotters. Because all of us are going to fall into a, a, a type of transgression, a pattern of sin at some point in our lives. When he talks about that there, he's talking about a besetting sin that we are not having victory over. We feel like we're giving in rather than resisting. And when we find ourselves giving in to the things that we don't want to do, he says, realize you need to reach out for help. You can't do it by yourself. And just think of what some of these undesired sin habits might look like. Maybe your sin habit is how you use your words. Gossip, lying, crude conversations. Swearing every other word. You, you know it's a problem, but you don't know how to fix it. Maybe your sin habit is laziness. It's in, kind of endemic in our culture right now. You're not the employee, the husband, the wife, the parent that you know you should be. Maybe your sin habit is drinking too much on the weekends. Over the past couple years, maybe there's been a deepening dependency on alcohol when times are tough and you know you need to break free, but you don't know what to do. Or, or maybe your sin habit is is pornography. There are countless more sin patterns. There are tons that we could look at, and I don't have time to list them all, but you, you get the picture. We all have things that we are tempted to fall into, and, and temptation takes on different forms and facets in every one of our lives, but we all have sin battles that we are carrying. We all have temptations that we're called to face, but how about the second burden we bear? 
In verse 1, Paul specifically names temptation, but in verse 2, he speaks more broadly about burdens. He says, bear one another's burdens. That word burden in Greek is very broad on purpose. It's all-encompassing. It can talk about a relational burden. It can talk about an emotional burden. It can talk about a spiritual burden. So a good way to think of this word more collectively would be the idea of trials. That's our second category of burdens that we bear, trials. Peter talks about trials this way in 1 Peter 4.12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I don't know about you, but I don't like that verse. Like, come on, Peter. First of all, you call the trials fiery, not a fun modifier. And second of all, he's saying, why are you acting surprised when trials come? It's a normal part of living in a broken world. I don't like that, right? First of all, think of, of the fiery part of trials. What did things passing through fire, what was the purpose of fire? It was to purify it. Right? If you put metal in fire, it draws all the impurities to the surface that you can skim off. And Peter's really saying, fiery trials are going to sanctify you. They're going to draw to the surface your sins of self-reliance, idolatry, and ungratitude. Right? So he's saying, hey, it's going to be purifying in your heart. But second of all, he says trials are the norm, not the exception for the Christian. Which means no amount of money, influence, prestige, Leadership, authority can insulate you from a trial unexpectedly being placed on your shoulders. Even deeper, no amount of godliness or spiritual maturity can insulate you from trials either. I was reminded of that this last uh, couple weeks. One of my spiritual mentors, uh, he's in his early 70s. He's been walking faithfully with the Lord for almost 60 years. He's been married for 50 years. They were missionaries to Japan, they were missionary recruiters, and they just recently retired to Estes Park, Colorado, because they are active and fit 70-year-olds, and they want to hike the Rockies. Baran just reached out to me and said that they're facing one, the biggest trial they've ever faced. His wife just got diagnosed with ALS, with Lou Gehrig's disease. If you know anything about Lou Gehrig's disease, it's one of the worst diseases you can have. Over the next couple years, his wife's body will just cease to allow her to express herself, physically, verbally, all of those things, right? He's one of the godliest guys I know. It's a reminder that godliness doesn't insulate us from trials. I think that's really important because sometimes we can fall into a functional prosperity gospel where we think, God, if I'm following you, I'm doing everything right, why have you permitted this trial to enter into my life? We think if I'm doing things right, shouldn't my life be easy? And Peter says, no. He says, you're still living in a broken world. Jesus died to fix it, but it won't ultimately be fixed till he reigns as king and we're in his presence in eternity. So we will all face trials. Where some of the trials we're facing, where some of the trials our Highland Church family has been walking through. Obviously, the last couple of years probably quantify as trying, right? Whether it's been fear, stress, anxiety, lost jobs, stretched finances, sickness, someone passing away, the last couple of years have just left a lot of us feeling on edge and burned out and just exhausted. Maybe some of you are walking through a trial of disappointment. Something that you were really looking forward to just didn't happen. A job promotion you'd been expecting didn't go to you. Someone you really care about broke up with you and left you. A friend you love deeply betrayed you. Something you were looking forward to for so long happened and it didn't 
meet your expectations and now you're just disillusioned. Maybe some of you are walking through the trial of grieving the death of a loved one. Over the last few months or or year, you've had a a friend, a a family member, a parent, a grandparent, someone near to you die and, and you are bearing that weight and more days than not, it just feels heavy and weighs you down. Or maybe some of you are, are facing the trial of a mental health struggle. It's been hard. It's been difficult. The wind is knocked out of your sails and you're just really struggling with knowing how things are going to change. We all have trials that we walk through every day. And those trials are not insignificant. I can't imagine the stress that many of us have felt over the last couple of years with the amount of loss and change and adapting we've endured. It's, it's okay to admit that it hasn't been easy and we're struggling to bear that weight. But that brings us to one final burden we're called to bear. And, and I've called that one trauma. Trauma. Now I'm going to tread very carefully here because I know this is extremely sensitive and I'm not wanting to surface things that aren't helpful to surface. But I think that category of trauma and me talking about broadly is important. Trauma is a direct result of living in a broken world. It occurs when we encounter unexpected, deeply distressing experiences. So when the brokenness of our world hits us in a very personal way, and these traumatic events oftentimes deposit pain, brokenness, bitterness, and confusion into our hearts. And even worse, oftentimes, the effects of trauma don't tend to fix themselves until we intentionally work through those traumatic events. And if we just ignore it, it oftentimes becomes a burden that we carry into so many other aspects of our life and our relationships. I think there are really three general categories of of things that can be traumatic. I don't need to flesh these out because you know what they mean, but the first one is, is accidents, tragic accidents. The second one is abandonment. Someone you loved abandoned you. The third is abuse. Accidents, abandonment, abuse. Oftentimes those are traumatic things that can really weigh us down unless they're dealt with. So I spent a good amount of time this morning starting with identifying the types of burdens we carry. Temptations, trials, and traumas. And I do that to bring us all to the realization uh, that we all have a lot of burdens that we're carrying. The reality is every single person in here has burdens according to that list. And if we don't share those burdens, we will wake up one day crushed by the weight. We need spiritual community. We need spiritual spotters to help reduce the weight of those burdens and to help us to grow. Which brings us to our second point. We need to choose revealing over concealing. So if the best way to bear our burden is to share our burden, we need to identify the burdens we're bearing. But second, we need to choose revealing over concealing. Other people can't help us bear our burdens if they don't know we're bearing them, okay? Which means we have to actually reveal what's going on in our lives. And we're not good at that. Instead, we like to conceal. We like to paint on the happy face. We like to say, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, but we're not, we're broken. And we are oftentimes not just tempted to conceal the brokenness from those around us, it goes even deeper. Many times when the pain doesn't go away, we try to cope with the pain and we turn to damaging, toxic coping mechanisms. And this is really the reason I wanted to preach on this passage today. Because as I look at our culture, as I look at our community, as I even look at our church family, there are so many people that because they're not rightly dealing with the burdens they're bearing, bearing, they are turning to all sorts of damaging coping mechanisms. And if we rightly dealt with the burdens, I think 
think we would see a tidal wave change in mental health struggles, addictions, and all other things in our culture. But that's not going to change as long as we suffer in solitude and silence. So what are some of those unhealthy coping mechanisms we turn to to try to numb the pain? Here's the first one. Maybe this one will be a surprise. Being a workaholic. Being a workaholic. Why do you think people are workaholics? Well, it's because they don't want to leave work. Why don't they want to leave work? Oftentimes, it's because the rest of their life is broken. Broken marriages, broken families, broken relationships with kids. And work is the one thing I'm good at. So that's going to be my identity. That's going to be my functional savior. And I'm just going to throw myself fully into the one thing that makes me feel better. Maybe for some of us, it's pleasurable escapes. Food, eating too much. Sleep, being slothful. Shopping, video games. Binging on Netflix, binging on SportsCenter. Or some other synthetic reality to distract us from the reality of our present lives. For others, it's pornography. I truly believe that the coping mechanism of choice for young people right now, guy or gal, is oftentimes pornography. And I also truly believe that it's not just about sexually explicit images, it's more about a sense of escape from the brokenness of life. I'm anxious, I'm depressed, this makes me feel better for a little bit, so I'm going to keep pushing that button to feel better, even though it's destroying me. Or maybe denial. Maybe that's the way you unhealthy deal. The true Wisconsin way, bottle it up, never talk about it, ignore it, and pretend it goes away. Here's the thing. Uh, I think about this one in particular. A couple years ago, I was talking to a group of a couple hundred police officers. Occasionally, I'll do some training for law enforcement training officers on how to manage, recruit, and, and maintain millennial and Gen Z uh, staff members, because apparently they don't understand our generation. So I get to be the millennial whisperer and tell them what to do. <laughs> so I was going in, and, and I was talking about this. And one of these, like, just crusty old sergeants, right, he just stands up and he says to me, he goes, why should we care about those emotional snowflake millennials anyway? Great question, right? Lots, lots to respond to there. And uh, as I was interacting with her, I was like, you know, you're right. My generation could be a little more resilient. We, we can be a little snowflakey at times. I said, but, but let's pause and think about this for a moment. I said, is it, is it any better to be an emotional wrecking ball? I said, I think it's your generation who just kind of buried emotions and especially the trauma and things that you see on duty and didn't talk or process through it. And I'm guessing maybe some of you are divorced and have broken relationships with your kids and have self-destructive habits because that's how you've dealt with the pain. Lots of heads went down. And he said, fine. <laughs> that's all I got. So, and after we talked through the rest of the, the day at the end, he gave me the highest compliment. He said, I hate the snowflakes a little less. I said, what else can you ask for? But denial, but denial, that's what we do sometimes. We just shove it down and we think that makes us strong. It doesn't, it just makes you an emotional wrecking ball. We don't want to be emotional snowflakes, but we also don't want to be wrecking balls. They're both bad ways to deal with pain. Another one is substance abuse. Wausau is the 12th drunkest city in America. We know that. We've seen that from statistics. Um, 26 0.1% of adults are functional alcoholics or non-functioning alcoholics. That's just the world we live in. Substance abuse gives us a, a temporary escape from the pain, whether that's alcohol or marijuana or prescription drugs or whatever else. That's the allure of it. Escape your pain for a moment. And then lastly, I hit on this one because this is so growing right now from my experience is self-harm, self-harm. 
another way of trying to cope with the pain. Lots of young people, there's been a revitalization of self-harm going on. Those are all toxic ways to deal with temptation, trials and trauma. And the reason I wanted to preach on this passage, I wanted to have a group counseling session since I can't meet with everyone one-on-one and talk through these things. So this is my best opportunity to talk through this with everybody. Um, Those outlets offer temporary relief, but they can't bring lasting change and healing. The only person with the power to help us heal from the underlying pain is Jesus. And this is the most important statement of the day. When we reveal, Jesus can heal. When we reveal, Jesus can heal. When we choose to be vulnerable, to let other people in, to reach out for help, we open the door for Jesus to begin healing our brokenness because Satan loves to keep us in silence and solitude because there we will not change, we will not grow, we will not heal, we will not make a difference for King Jesus' kingdom. We need spiritual spotters. We need to share our burdens. We need Christ-centered, vulnerable, authentic community. But if revealing leads to healing, why are we so good at concealing? And now I'm just sounding like Dr. Seuss. (laughs) Why, why are we good at concealing? I think there's a variety of reasons, but here are, are a few that I came up with. These are a few of the reasons that we are tempted to conceal. The first one is just good old fashioned pride. The most obvious one, pride. We don't want to admit we need help. We like to be self-reliant. We like to think that we can fix ourselves, which is why a lot of people struggle with the concept of grace. A lot of people don't really like the way the gospel is laid out because we don't like grace. We want to contribute. We want to think it's our goodness that endeared us to God. We want to, to have a part of our salvation, but God says, you can't fix yourself. That's why you need Jesus. If you can fix yourself, my son would have had to die. He died. You need him, right? We need grace but we like to think that we're self-made people. We like to be able to pat ourselves on our back and find our identity in being a strong, independent person. But true strength is being strong enough to admit that I need a spiritual spotter and I can't live this way any longer. Think about it. If there was a person who was going to the weight room and they said, you know what? I'm strong enough to not need a spotter when I'm lifting heavy weights. You would not say they are admirable. You would say they are foolish. You would. I mean, you would say that is a foolish decision. I don't care how strong you think you are. Yet we admire ourselves when we think I'm a self-made person. I don't need any help. Okay. It's just as foolish to do that. So first is pride. Second, fear of being exposed. Fear of being exposed. We care way too much about what other people think about us. If they knew what was going on, they would they, wouldn't bel- they would think X, Y, or Z. We want people to think we have the perfect lives, the perfect marriages, the perfect families, the perfect jobs. So we project who we want to be to the world while we conceal what's really going on in our lives. And you know this to be true. How many of you, when you are hosting some other people for dinner, immediately clean your house like you've never cleaned it before? <laughs> right? Yeah. I s- thank you for raising your hand for your parents. That's very good. <laughs> That's very good. We're called to confess our sins corporately. So no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We do that. Why do we do that? Because we want to trick the people into thinking our house always looks this way. And it's always clean. And the laundry is always done. And everyone knows it's just shoved in the closet. We know that it's, it's there. But why do we do that? Because we want to put on the best version of ourselves and, and project this image that I have it all together. We have a fear of being exposed because we put way too much stock in what other people think of us. Third, uh, maybe, maybe another reason we're tempted to conceal is we've been burned in the past. We opened up, our confidence was betrayed. 
Someone responded poorly. Someone gossiped about our struggle. To quote Pastor Sam from a couple years ago, the prayer chain became the gossip train. That was trademark Sam Deloy, right? And because of that, whenever we want to open up, whenever we want to open up, we have that flashback and we think, this is the reason I don't trust. Maybe another reason we're tempted to conceal is shame over what I'm struggling with. This is one of the biggest ones. Shame is one of Satan's favorite weapons. Shame sounds a little bit like this. Um, if you open up, you're going to be on the black, you're going to be blacklisted at church. You, everyone, everyone thinks you're so godly, then they're going to know your dirty little secrets. The, the, you, a Christian shouldn't even be struggling with what you're struggling with. What do you think God thinks of you, let alone what everyone else is going to think of you? And then we just convince ourselves that I need to be ashamed, I need to be embarrassed, and, and we run away from being exposed. And then that shame just drives us deeper into those dangerous coping mechanisms. Or maybe lastly, you've just believed the lie that no one cares and no one wants to listen. We can't allow those excuses to hold us back from living out this passage and bearing our burdens by sharing our burdens. There is such freedom in our hearts when we draw our temptation, trials, and trauma out of the darkness and into the light. Because once they're in the light, Jesus can really begin the work of healing our hearts and lessening the load. So that really brings us to one final point. Once we determine that we are going to reveal rather than conceal those burdens third, we need to humbly accept help. We need to humbly accept help. And that's really the impetus of this text. We need to allow other people to help us overcome temptation, to stand strong in trials, and to move past our traumas. And Paul says that we need to reach out to those who are spiritually mature to help us be restored to a state of spiritual health. I love the word in this passage that Paul uses. He uses a word that has been translated as restore. And the Greek word that's translated as restore here was used in a, in a very uh, word picture way in this era of the Greek language. It was a word that was used when a doctor would set a broken bone or when a dislocated joint was put back into proper alignment. The idea of restoration is a return to health and normal function. So what Paul is saying is when we bear our burdens by sharing our burdens, when we reach out for help, it allows us to be restored to proper health and function. And just think about this way. If you've ever dislocated a joint, it's not very fun, is it? But what's even worse is if you didn't go to the doctor and you tried to put it back in yourself, you're going to do a lot of damage if you do that. And then the chances are you're going to end up seeing one of our surgeons that attends here and doing some repair surgery because your, your joint's going to keep dislocating because now you've just messed it all up. So this morning, don't just identify your burdens. If you just walk away and saying, that was good and helpful. I see stuff in my life. Okay, on to lunch. I have failed. I have failed. My goal is not for you to identify your burdens. It's to choose to reveal them and to humbly reach out for help. But that brings us to a last question. What types of help do we need to seek out and accept? I want to share a type of help for each category of burden. For temptation, we need authentic accountability. That's what we need. Authentic accountability. That's what verse 1 is all about. When we are trapped in a sin struggle, we need to seek out an accountability partner to help us overcome that struggle. We need a spiritual spotter. We need to realize I'm not going to move past this sin struggle on my own. I need help. And this passage tells us what to look for in an accountability partner. It's awesome. First, we need someone who's more spiritually mature than we are. So this isn't just a peer, this isn't someone that we just casually know, but this is a spiritual mentor, someone who has the wisdom and biblical wherewithal to show us how to grow. 
But second of all, we need someone who's gentle. They have a spirit of gentleness. They won't be harsh and legalistic. And that's huge. Think about it this way. Let's go back to our analogy of having a dislocated shoulder. Let's say you go to the walk-in and you've got two different doctors there. They're ready to help you. You've got one doctor who's going to give you a little bit of pain medicine. They've got great bedside manner. They're going to talk to you. They're going to explain everything. They're going to do it as gently as possible to put that shoulder back in. Or behind door number two, the other doctor walks in and says, I'm just here for the paycheck. Give me your shoulder. And pops it right back in. Just the thought of it sounds awful, doesn't it? Which doctor are you going to choose? Unless you're a very strange person, you're going to pick doctor number one, right? You're going to pick the gentle doctor. Well, we need someone gentle. We need a gentle accountability partner. Someone who's going to not be harsh and legalistic, but ask good questions. Help us diagnose the heart motives behind our behaviors. We're not just looking for behavior modification. We're looking for heart transformation. And lastly, someone who we have given permission to ask the tough questions about those sins that we would rather conceal than reveal. But most importantly, most importantly, you want to find someone who's going to point you back to Jesus because Jesus is our great hope and our only source of lasting change. We need someone who's going to constantly turn our attention back to King Jesus because that's where change happens. Um, we're not talking about self-help, okay? You don't, we're not, I'm not giving you a self-help book. I'm not here to be your life coach. You don't need life coaching. You need life transformation. And that comes from Jesus, not the Barnes and Noble bestsellers, okay? You need someone who's going to point your attention back to Jesus. So moving on to trials, what, what type of help do we need? Many times when we're walking through a trial, more than anything, we just need a good friend. We need good Christian community that'll surround us and remind us that we are not alone. For, for trials, we need everyday encouragement. We need everyday encouragement. We need friends that we are doing life with, where we're not just a number, but we're a known entity. People that are surrounding us, pouring into us, loving us, and we can live in the context of shared life. That is why this is so important. Gathering here, to this, gathering here this morning on Sunday morning is not enough for your spiritual life. It is not enough. When we gather together, it's a time of corporate worship and it's that time of understanding God's word and applying it to our lives. But we want you to find a way to be plugged in to life on life discipleship. That is our vision for Highland. We have three core statements at Highland. Not one. It's not just gather together on Sundays. That's not our vision. We have three core statements. Eight o'clock did pretty good. Let's see if you can do better. Do you know our three core statements? What are Highland's core values? What's our vision statement? Connect, grow, go. How many of you knew that? Be honest. God is watching. <laughs> connect, grow, go, right? We want to connect in Christ-centered community. We want to grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus. We want to go and serve. Realize we want you to connect, grow, and go. We want those smaller life-on-life -life aspects. So more than just a Sunday morning, you need a life group. You need a small group. You need a men's or women's Bible study. You need a discipleship group. And you need to be real about those and not just like share the, the, the softball Bible answers. Like, yes, I could really work on spending 45 minutes rather than 30 minutes in my quiet time with Jesus this week. Okay, like, yeah, we can start there, but let's go a little deeper about what's actually going on, right? We need life groups. 
But additionally, maybe you're saying, you know, I'm not really walking through a trial right now, but I know many other people who are. How can I be a good spotter for them? Here's a few ideas of how to be a good spotter for a friend going through a trial. First of all, simply be present. Be present. Make time to be together. Even if you're not talking about the trial, let them know that they are loved and they're not alone. Second of all, be a good listener. Let your friends talk about what they're feeling, how they're processing, what their struggle is. Listen and ask good follow-up questions. You don't need to say the perfect thing because many times there's not a perfect thing. It just takes love, prayer, and encouragement for people to work through. Realize Job's friends did a stellar job at the beginning of the book of Job. They showed up, they shut up, and they cried with Job. Great advice for helping someone walk into a trial. They got into trouble when they decided to open their mouths. They did. They gave terrible counsel and advice, and they decided to insert themselves in when really they should have shown up, been quiet, and just loved Job well. Third, pray daily for your friend. One of the best ways we can spiritually spot for each other is by praying and asking Jesus to bring healing. And then fourth, find ways to encourage them. Maybe it's a text of encouragement, a word of affirmation. Just take him out for lunch. Something that says, I'm thinking of you and I care about you. Those are some great ways to be a friend to those in a trial. Lastly, I want to talk about what we need when we are trying to share the burden of trauma with another person. For trauma, we oftentimes need Christ-centered counseling. Okay, we need Christ-centered counseling. Now, I know that's kind of like a ooh word, like, mm, I don't know about that. But think of counseling in a different way. Think of issue-specific discipleship. How about that, right? There's an issue in my heart. There's an issue in my life that's causing a spiritual clog that I'm not able to move past. And I, I want to work through it, okay? There is no shame in reaching out for Christ-centered counseling. I think every Christ follower needs that at some point in their lives, okay? So for trauma, we oftentimes need that wise counsel of someone who can help us move through that pain. And one of the best places to start is reaching out to a trusted spiritual leader. Maybe that's a pastor. Uh, maybe even a, a pastor at Highland would be a great place to start and we could point you in the direction of the right resources, okay? No shame in needing that kind of help. So that's our sermon today. The best way to bear our burden is to share the burden. Galatians 6.2 would be a great, a great theme verse for Highland. We bear one another's burdens here and so fulfill the law of Christ. I wanted to preach on this sermon or this passage uh, because I fear we just don't do great at this. And I really think that if my understanding of the pulse of how many people are doing in our communities in our nation, we're, we're not good at sharing our burdens. A lot of people are struggling in isolation and in solitude. And here's the thing. We oftentimes talk about making a person de personal decision to follow Jesus. And that's true. You have to personally choose whether or not you want to follow Jesus. Absolutely. But realize the moment that you personally chose to follow Jesus, you signed up for a communal calling. You signed up for a communal calling. You are now part of the body of Christ. You are now part of the family of God. You have brothers and sisters in Christ. You have a family in which we are called to love one another, support one another, serve one another, and yes, bear one another's burdens. I would love to see Highland have a rippling effect throughout our community of this being a place where we understand it's okay to be real, to be vulnerable, to be open with each other, to bear each other's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I'd love to see that vision take place. As I said a couple weeks ago, you can't one another by yourself. It just doesn't work that way. You only can live that out in the context of Christian community. I've read 
All the books in the New Testament, I can tell you there's not a book that says, that has a category for Christians doing the Christian life by themselves. One of the greatest disservices the American church has done for the global Christianity has been exporting this toxic idea of Christian individualism. That is not the Christianity of the Bible, okay? Yeah, we personally decide to follow Jesus, but we sign up for a corporate communal calling. We bear our burdens by sharing our burdens. Who will you humbly ask for help this week? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together today and to look at these two verses. Short verses, but they are poignant. They are dense with meaning. And if we really lived these out, I think our lives would be transformed for the better. Lord, there's a lot of burdens. There's a lot of trials, traumas, and temptations present in this room. I just ask that you give us all the strength to pursue the the spiritual spotters, the community that we need to faithfully follow Jesus regardless of what we're facing. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our great healer, that you will wash away our sin, that you will empower us, that you will sanctify us, and that you give us the great gift of brothers and sisters in Christ to help us in that journey, and we don't have to walk it alone. Help us to be encouraged by that reality and now be empowered to sing your praises. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.